checking your shit to make sure you're healthy. Yeah. And I was like, am I healthy? And I looked in. There was a full ass piece of gum. <laughs> <laughs> that I have never seen that before. Oh my god! I feel like usually it does digest, but then you said it didn't. And then I looked in no. the fucking toilet. There was a fully like regular formed piece of gum. Yeah, it's literally like glue. Dude, I've never noticed that before. I don't know what the... It, Did you it was, chew it at least? After or before? Before, <laughs> yes. I chewed it. But I looked down and I was like, oh my God, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's my gum. Yeah, it's like plastic. What's, what's the ingredients it's of gum? literally rubber. Oh, well, you know, I guess it's I good mean, that I didn't old, Like it. gum was... Uh, but why was your shit bits green? Of latex Sugar, rubber, dextrose, glucose, corn syrup... I can't pronounce Why that. Why was your shit green? Didn't the, it, you say it turned... food coloring. The, hmm. You know, because they were all different colors. Okay. I just had... It was just like Orbit or whatever kind it's of white. resin, yeah. wax, and elastomer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So it just it just passed straight through me. It was like a piece of corn. Mm-hmm. We had the corn discussion, right? Um. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh, you should have saved that for an episode <laughs> that people had to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have and to also subscribe. buy cans of her farts. <laughs> all right it's our newest piece of merchandise canned parts people do that cassie's an entrepreneur no <laughs> i said people i'm not included in that group there are people that sell cans like they will can their farts or they'll catch a fart in a mason jar right. and seal it and then send it to people do for you money. think that it if you were to open the jar it would still smell or does it like dissipate or can it not because it doesn't have anywhere to go I would assume that it's literally just an empty jar and people on the internet are into different things. You um, I, you know, honestly, you're right. You don't even have to actually fart yeah, in the jar. You, you can just, just buy say, the jar and then sell it and say that it's a fart. I mean, it's false advertising. You could probably sue someone for very good amounts of money for it. How do you prove that? Are you going to take yourself to court saying, I tried to buy a jar of farts <laughs> and it was not farty enough for me. Thanks. No, there's a guy at work. He, he got a... Uh, spray thing of yeah. like it's, it's called liquid ass or something like sure. that stuff so he would go into the locker room and spray it at the shift change and people would walk in and just walk right back out and the looks on their faces was yeah. absolutely <laughs> ridiculous like he would spray it when i was in there changing my clothes and i'm like you motherfucker and i'm like trying to get, get the rest of my clothes on and get out of there because that shit would make me gag it was like yeah. it's, it's liquid like, ass it's yeah it's straight shit with like burnt ass hair and <laughs> a toilet bowl just full of like multiple shits it's it's gross like a porta potty it's worse than a porta potty speaking of porta potties but you should introduce (laughs) the podcast and then we can uh go back to a porta potty thing because we have an announcement (laughs) (laughs) hello everybody welcome to death by music podcast i'm jake here with Cassie and Alex. We got another mini sode for you. No, this is a real episode. Is it the real episode? Yeah, we're gonna do Jocko. We'll do oh, that. Never Psych. Mind then. It's real. <laughs> we're gonna do a real episode with you guys today about Jocko Pistorius. Yes. The um, world's greatest bass oh player. And I tend to agree. Yeah. Well but now I think that he's you, pretty good. He is pretty good. Now that you guys know a little bit more about us and our bowels, circling back to the porta potty thing, me and Cassie are going to Bonnaroo. Uh, oh no, are there only porta potties there? Yeah. Oh. Um no, no, they actually did build some structures recently. Oh cool. So there are some actual toilets and and we're going to be in the media area, so we are going to have um not the porta potties but like the you know, they have like the trailers with toilets in them. Yeah. Um, that being said, me and Cass are going to Bonnaroo. It's going to be fucking awesome. We're going to see Lizzo. And Orville Peck is going to be there. Sorry, Jake. I, I know see. you would hate it if you had to live outside for six days, probably, with a bunch of hippies. Maybe like- one day. Maybe not for six days, but. Okay, now that we're doing a podcast episode instead of talking about Bonnaroo, but we are very <laughs> excited for Bonnaroo and it's going to be fucking awesome. And also Limp Biscuit, which Yee. is in a couple of weeks. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think it's on like August 13th. We don't have to talk about it right now. I just want to note that okay. it's happening and it's getting closer and oh we God. can't fucking wait. Um, our sources today include Wikipedia. <laughs> The stacks. Your transitions were so smooth there. (laughs) The stacks. That's why I'm a professional. Um, Oh my god. The stacks reader had "Who Killed Jaco Pastorius" by Pat Jordan in GQ. That's from April of 1988, so it was like right after all this happened, and that was a an incredible source 
for me. I know Jake used it a little bit too, mm-hmm. but it was it was really well written, really good thing. Um, Jaco, the 2014 documentary, JacoPastorius.com, Jaco Pastorius, 35 jazz bassist dies in Florida and from the <laughs> LA Times. Um, that article's from 1987, so also immediately after. A quick history of the fretless space by bass player staff at guitarworld.com and then the extraordinary and tragic life of Jaco Pastorius by Bill Milkowski. And uh, right off the bat, I'm going to go ahead and say mm. I'm calling him. I like to say Jaco because it sounds um, exotic, but I'm pretty sure it's just Jaco. Right. And so um, <laughs> right off the top, we're going to do a little a little trigger warning. We haven't had to do a trigger warning in a while. Yeah, this we one's probably should have for Whitney Houston. Yeah, honestly, all of them should have them. So just for here on out, just know that <laughs> it's depressing and will trigger you. If, if you're already here, you probably know what you're getting into. So Yeah. Well, just in case this is your first time, we, we just talked oh, about yeah. shit for 10 minutes. So I think if you if you are <laughs> if you here, turn us off we're then. not usually like this, I promise. <laughs> or are we? Yeah, if you if you got through the shit for 10 minutes, then you might not even need this trigger warning. But no. this one's got um, like depression and suicidal mentions of suicide and stuff like that. So um, now you know. And let's let's just hop right to it. Uh, so far, the only basis that we've covered on the show in our two and a half seasons is cliff burton mm-hmm. and today we're not only slapping the bass but we are covering a genre that we haven't really touched on which is jazz i mean we did billy holiday but that's like a completely different type of jazz than what jocko was doing right. in the 70s with artists like pat metheny and Joni mitchell okay i typically try to steer clear from Joni mitchell because i yeah. don't like it but I would never have considered her to be jazz. Yeah, she actually, so she was doing folk for a while. And then after that, she kind of became like a jazzy type singer, whatever. Yeah, she did. She did a couple different genres. Um, But Jocko was doing more jazz fusion. It was just like fun, funky stuff that you'll be able to explore more in our playlist. And it's actually, it's really good. Um, Jocko's story is also one that Jake suggested before he actually joined the podcast when he was merely a commoner like yourselves. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. I honestly didn't even know that much about him before we started doing this research. So mm-hmm. I just knew of him. Yeah, he so. suggested it was like Jocko. And then who did you say? Wayne Static from Static X. Oh, yeah, we got to do who's him. Who's also been suggested by somebody else, too. So we do. Yes. We will cover. We'll get to everybody eventually. But <laughs> this one was. Definitely an interesting story. And we're trying, to, you guys have probably figured it out by now. We're trying to go all over the map as far as genres and then as far as levels of fame, too. I mean, we just covered Whitney Houston, who was like the most famous um, person ever in her time and breaking all these records. And now we'd like to kind of shift gears and go to someone who was very famous in his realm, but probably like nobody or not a lot of people have heard of unless you're a bass player i would not really expect or really big into jazz and yeah funk and stuff like that yeah i mean i'd never like heard this guy's name before nope. so we like to switch things up um jocko made the bass bass <laughs> <laughs> fucking christ how many times am i gonna do this in this episode that's the first one leave it in there <laughs> Jocko <laughs> made the bass look easy to handle because they're big, they're clunky, they're fucking, you know, awkward. He he played it like it was a guitar. He was breathing life into the melody of the bass line and um, with what's been described as manic intensity, which very, very accurate yeah. for describing the way that he played. His genius was coupled with deep depression and pain and Jocko's self-destructive lifestyle led to his story ending in tragedy. So Jocko was born as John Francis Pistorius in Norristown, Pennsylvania on December 1st, 1951. His dad, Jack, was a singer, a jazz drummer, and a heavy drinker. And his mother, Stephanie, was Finnish. Um, yeah, that's what Wikipedia told me. I, I don't know. There was nothing listed other than his mom was Finnish. <laughs> his dad she, was this, that, this, and the other. What did she complete? <laughs> a couple of kids get, get out no that was like a joke but yeah I, mean, I guess women in the 50s weren't allowed to be distinguished um mm. yeah yeah no the it, from what i watched in the jacko documentary in 2014 um she was the middle of nine kids uh apparently her mother was pretty shitty to her also finish and yeah what'd she do and uh she just wanted to be a homemaker that's a, okay. I think that was according to Gregory, which was his brother. His, yeah, that was one right. of her sons. So he was that's that's his words. Like she wanted to be a homemaker. Okay. So. 
Uh, Jocko had two younger brothers, uh, Gregory and oh. Rory. And watch out, we've got another Catholic here. Jocko was an altar boy and a Catholic school student. Um, apparently, Pennsylvania in the 50s wasn't great for asthmatics. So the family moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Yeah, the asthmatics being his mother and his brother Gregory, not Jocko. Yeah, I'm guessing because it was clarify. like a factory town and so there's probably a lot of pollution and so they had some issues probably breathing and they had to move because they were like i don't know having asthma attacks and shit mm. jocko's father was largely absent so him being the oldest son he had to kind of step up and look out for his siblings as a child he adopted the nickname jocko from baseball umpire jocko conlin and he spelled that j-o-c-k-o uh, his real name was also john Pastorius had a particular spelling for his name, though, and that was adopted after his neighbor, Alex Darkey, spelled it wrong. So his is J-A-C-O. Another version that I heard also from the same documentary and also from Gregory, uh, according to him, their mom says that she came up with the name because she didn't want to call him John. That was his grandfather or Jack, who was his dad. So I. Yeah, she kind of hated his dad. Kind of combine the two and call him Jocko. And despite the nickname, his brothers called Jocko Mowgli, and who's the character from the Jungle Book, because he was just super active. He was always climbing, running, swimming. He was always out in nature. That's such a better stage name. Why would you not stick with that? Mowgli? Yeah. He he looks like he could be a Mowgli too. Like there's yeah. something about he looks just like this little rug rat that you or whatever. What is that? <laughs> <That's>, it's <laughs> Johnny like, from the Wild Thornberries. Oh yeah, he does kind of look like that guy. Yeah. Um, he, he always strived to be the best in each of his sports, which included basketball, baseball, and football. Even as a kid, Jocko would go around telling everyone that he was the best. Like he started off with this insane level of confidence. Like, Hey, hi, how are you? I'm Jocko. I'm the best. And it makes sense that with all of his energy, he also started off as a drummer. Remember how we mentioned that Jocko's dad was a drunk? Oh yeah. Uh, he would come home fucked up. Jocko would take his younger brothers out of the house. Uh, he vowed, you know, they all vowed actually never to become alcoholics yet. Both he and Gregory did. Yeah, and th- this is a great time to mention alcoholism is an illness and can be inherited. We're not throwing shade on th- the brothers. Yeah. Yeah. This is like a huge part of his life, and you guys will hear, but it was always, we don't want to be like this. And then, unfortunately, things didn't work out that way. So, despite his father's behavior, Jocko was the closest of the boys to their dad, and he, he really suffered with his dad being gone so often. He'd pick up his dad's drumsticks and play on anything in the house. And then his dad would occasionally take him to gigs. And then the audience would just continue buying his dad drink after drink after drink. They weren't buying Jocko drinks after drink. After Boo, drink. They were buying kidding. them for his dad. So like he's at this gig and his dad's playing and he's like, wow, this is awesome. I look up to him. I idolize him. And he was just getting fucked up. So Jocko ended up buying his own drum kit, but he was not allowed to play inside as per his mother. I mean, that's understandable. Yeah, because that shit's loud as fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, she even bought his brother Gregory a guitar just to prove a point. What point? That they're in- inherently less loud? I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> she, well, she didn't lot like the drums and she's like, well, here, you can play, you can play guitar. I'll, I'll support you house. if you play this instrument. Uh, okay. But if you're playing drums, I'm not going to fucking support that. But Greg wasn't even interested in guitar at all. Yeah, Greg says even Jocko wasn't in- interested in the guitar, but he picked it up occasionally and just able to play it amazingly. Like, yeah, just naturally gifted. Yeah. So, um, his parents began fighting constantly about his dad, Jack's absence and his lifestyle. Since Jocko playing drums reminded his mother of his father, he ended up getting a room in a warehouse so that he could actually practice. However, he got a wrist injury from playing football at age 13. And after that, he was no longer able to comfortably play drums. But Jocko heard music in everything. Like, I don't know, what do they call those people? Savants who who just naturally... Yeah are incredible like they're geniuses and so whether it was humans nature cars like whatever sound was occurring he was like listen do you hear that and he heard like music in it it's fucking crazy i've always wondered how that feels to have that type of musical brain because 
you know, you can hear a noise or a sound and it can remind you of some other song you've already heard before, but like being able to turn it into its own song by just hearing a note of something like a car horn, Mm -hmm. there's just something unexplainable in that process. Like it's really interesting to listen to someone talk about that creative process. Speaking of ass, I did read a story about Jocko that his brother told, and Jake, you might've seen this in that, in that one article, um, where his brother Greg was like, oh yeah, Jocko could like lift up you know, one of his ass cheeks and fart and be like, that was a C flat. <laughs> I don't remember yeah. reading that. Uh, so Jacko was still playing drums and getting gigs after his injury. But then in high school, he joined Los Olas Brass, a local soul cover band. Uh, a better drummer came around. And at the same time, the bassist decided to leave. And this is where Jocko decided to change it up and slide on over to bass guitar. It was around 1969 and he had been pretty interested in jazz. He was listening on a shitty record player that he won from a Rice Krispies contest. Fun fact time. Okay. There is a Rice Krispies jingle that I had in my head when this came about. So sing it, was, it, sing I was it. trying to remember the lyrics, oh. but I, I Googled Rice Krispies jingle and I came across from either 1963 or 1964, a Rolling Stones recorded jingle for Rice Krispies. It was used on television and radio to promote the breakfast cereal, and it was only recently rediscovered. Um, It was believed the jingle was written by Brian Jones, and it exists on YouTube. Uh, Since Jocko had been listening on his crispy turntables, he couldn't really hear the bass. They were were real shitty. He, He couldn't hear the bass, so the way that he learned to play the bass was based on all of the, other, <laughs> the instruments that he Sorry. could hear. So he could hear all of the melody on the top of the mix and started trying to learn bass as a melody and like a, an instrument that's in the forefront. Um, his teenage band, Las Olas Brass, picked up... They started picking up steam in South Florida. Um, anytime that they were exposed to drugs or booze, the boys would just laugh it off like, <laughs> we would never do that shit. And then they would swear that they, they just would not become their parents. Um, They were pretty rowdy teenagers. They went streaking through parks and running through the woods. They were playing endless basketball games, hitting the beach, and just practicing, like, nonstop. Randy Burnson commented that Jocko had a a really healthy balance in his life at the time and that he was always on the nerve. So when he was playing, it was just always fucking right. And Jocko would tell Randy, I've got this power in me. Like he just heard things and was in awe of his own talent, like trying to harness it. (laughs) Around this time, Jocko met his future wife, Tracy Lee. They were in high school. He was a junior and she was a sophomore. They ended up getting married in August of 1970. They got an apartment in Hollywood, Florida. Their daughter, Mary, was born that December, just days after Jocko turned 19 years old. Which, holy shit, I didn't actually think about that at the time, but he's Mm -hmm. a baby. Um, Jocko had saved up his money to buy an upright bass. I spelled that wrong. (laughs) But (laughs) because I knew I was going to say bass. Yeah. (sighs) So he bought an upright bass. But he couldn't maintain it very well. Um, He woke up one day and it was cracked. And he said it must have been Florida's humidity that, you know, the wood was just all fucked up. And then he traded it in for a 62 Fender jazz bass, which he aptly named the Bass of Doom. Not to jump ahead too much, but in 1986, it is said that his bass was broken into pieces and then repaired and then stolen off of a Manhattan park bench. Eventually, it was found at a guitar shop in 2006, but the owner refused to sell. Then why was it in the shop? I think he's just bragging. <laughs> like, it's better than sitting on it's your shelf clout. at home. Yeah, it's ju- just a display piece, probably. They do that at guitar shops, right? Yeah. Like, they'll have the ones that are not for sale, but they just want to show off that yeah, they have it. Yeah, you can go to a guitar center and see stuff like that. After his death, Pastorius's family wanted to have the bass so badly that they nearly went broke just trying to get it back. Rob Trujillo of Metallica helped pay for its safe return. I've read that Trujillo actually owns the bass. From what I was able to gather, he was he was friends with Jocko's first son, John, and his nephew, David Pastorius, and he had heard of the legal battle between the family and the store owner. Trujillo provided the family with the funds to win their case, and somehow through all the legal stuff, I guess he is the legal owner of the guitar. He's agreed to let the family have it for the price he purchased it for. Now, it sounds like he's being a dick when you read that, but uh, when you go further into the story, I think he really just wanted to help the family and rescue the base, and they have several legal agreements between uh, Trujillo and the family Hmm. over the base. Um, They'd all like to see the base in a museum at some point. Um, 
Jacko's son Felix was able to use the bass for a couple of tracks on the on the Yellow Jackets album, A Rise in the Road. Rob's got the bass in storage somewhere out in California, and he's hmm. he's basically just holding on to it. He, right. He's not a collector, and he's not out to... Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's kind I of would, a weird situation. I would trust but. him with it as being like a friend of the family, first of all, and then also being a stand-up dude. I would rather him have it than this shop owner that... Yeah. Probably, I mean, he acquired it illegally. illegally. The shop owner, yeah. It was stolen. The shop owner bought it for 400 bucks off of yeah. some guy on the street that just disappeared. So Yeah, I would rather trust, I mean, if, if somebody had something of mine and then like Cassie bought it, I wouldn't be upset. I'd be like, you know, yeah. like like this this couch, not that she stole this or whatever, but this couch <laughs> that we're sitting on is at Cassie's house. But, you know, we both paid for it, but I trust her with it and I'd rather it be here than at the fucking Goodwill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> at the time in jazz music... Upright acoustic bass was the instrument of choice for bassists. It was typical in the 1970s for bassists to kind of just stay in the background with the rhythm section um, and the drummer. The foreground was reserved for vocals, saxophone, or trumpets, and then with the band just kind of led the rest, whoever else was involved in the band. Pistorius, on the other hand, this guy was a showstopper in his own right, and he had some new ideas to bring to the table. So at 26 years old, Jocko had a very developed technical skill for playing bass he combined an r&b feel with strict jazz lines to produce a style that was typically untouched by anyone else in the industry he used the distinct muted sound while employing harmonics in a nouveau fashion i don't even and know that what that had means made him pretty in demand as a session player during an interview with journalist steve rosen jocko tells him that when playing live he typically turns the the bass on the amp all the way up because he only uses the back pickup on his actual bass Further in the interview, Jocko goes on to explain that he never practiced his right hand movements. They just came naturally to him. Hmm. So the first two fingers would pick while the other two fingers and thumb would like mute the sound. Which, how does that come naturally to you? But whatever. I mean, he wasn't. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, like, he was allowed to develop his own kind of playing style because right. he just picked it up and decided this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Because he wasn't formally trained so it's always really interesting when people who have no formal training on an instrument become like a complete visionary and like eddie van halen had no formal training on guitar and he created his own techniques because he was never taught this is how you're supposed to do it and now his techniques are taught in guitar classes there's no preconception of what this thing is it's you just pick it up and make it Yours. Do whatever you think you should do. Yeah. And now you're creating all this new shit that nobody's even thought of because mm-hmm. they're all doing it by the book. They're trying to play classically. Yeah. So, so very interesting. Um, Jocko removed the frets from his electric bass guitar. And um, according to lore, he used a butter knife to pry them off. And then he sealed the holes with epoxy. No one knows who made the first fretless bass. Some like to say it's Jocko in 6970, but even before him, it was Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones in 61. Oh. Uh, since the 80s, bass manufacturers started offering fretless basses uh, modeled after the Bass of Doom. Say it right. Bass of Doom. <laughs> With uh, Fender even making a Jocko Pistorius jazz bass kind of constructed in a similar manner where they filled in the, uh, the yeah. frets and yeah, covered it in epoxy. Yeah, they actually pry them off? They did it the exact same way. That's what makes it a Jocko bass. I guess they did that. They sure. even used a butter knife. Um, <laughs> Alan, yeah, Alan Robinson said that Jocko did this just four hours before playing a show with Wayne Cochran, like like fixing his whole bass up. He was compared to James Brown in terms of performance, as in he was loud, he was fast, he was doing flips and shit. Uh, not to mention that he wasn't afraid to talk to the crowd. It became big in this this overall rock and roll culture kicked in where these musicians had their free speech and love and peace were in like the common themes of their songs. And it was easy for rock musicians to address social issues directly, like a call and response type of thing Mm -hmm. with their crowd um, on stage to their fans, because most of them had the same mindset, especially with like the Vietnam war happening or just musicians stating their opinions on just like being anti-war and all of that. So So just like actually having a dialogue with the the people. If if the venue wasn't no shirt, no shoes, then there would be a big problem because Jocko was out there barefoot. He was shirtless. And like Robert Johnson in our 27 club season, Jocko had some long ass fingers (laughs) with double jointed (laughs) thumbs. (laughs) 
So Alex had left a note in here to explain some of the theoretical techniques. So I found some info, but please bear with me because it's yeah nuts. Okay, I was trying to figure it out, and I was like, I don't know what any of this shit means. Somebody else can can explain it. <laughs> um, so there's a song that Jocko has called "Portrait of Tracy," which is his wife mm-hmm. tracy lee so the main melody of the song is in it's in c <laughs> which is the key of c jocko holds down a c the chord with his first finger with his third and fourth finger to get to a g note and on the d string which produces a d9 on the top of the g string <laughs> <laughs> but you have here a third which then gives you a major seventh chord it's yeah. long story short the man has huge stretchy hands and plays good in literal music theory okay that's yeah. all you need to know that's I have it no idea what you just yeah. said yeah yeah it's i don't cool. know what the fuck you just said <laughs> but anyways there's lots of pictures of him out there with his thumbs bent backwards like he's doing this shit here that the like audience it, can't that's see a when, you up, ha- when you do a thumbs up <laughs> no, and, it, well, and it bends backwards what is that called that. A, a hitchhiker's thumb i think Some, yeah probably when you try to hold your thumb up and it fucking bends the wrong direction at the joint yeah I think it's like i can do it a little stuff. bit but not the i don't have that to the extreme that he can but that i don't see how that helps you play bass like i watched him play you can see his thumbs are like all kind of funky and shit but he's not know. really doing anything with them i wish i could he's slapping the booze <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you guys you're welcome <laughs> but um you know don't let me get ahead of myself we're talking about all of these playing styles and shit but he's not even in a band yet so let's talk to the, talk about the band Jocko began playing with the white knight of soul wayne cochran and his band the cc riders this guy had the craziest bleach blonde <laughs> afro mullet yeah. rockabilly haircut i have ever mm-hmm. seen this guy is weird yeah, he looks fucking ridiculous. Dressed up like James Brown in, in fucking 70s jumpsuits and, and shit. His, his music was way more disco vibe. So seeing this happen together, like that show would have been just wacko. Yeah. <laughs> ja- no, it would have been Jacko. <laughs> Jacko had enough experience and ability to already be teaching bass guitar by the early 1970s at what? the University of Miami. Fucking nerd. Also around this time. <laughs> God damn. Uh, circa 1973, Jocko and Tracy had their second child, John Francis Pastorius IV. Uh, so this is where he met jazz guitarist Pat Metheny. 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 Pat Metheny. <laughs> Pat Metheny. <laughs> like Metheny. Like Metheny. No. Metheny. Metheny. Uh, Metheny, a fellow faculty member at the University of Miami. They teamed up with jazz pianist uh, Paul Blay and recorded an album in 1974 that they they just straight up named Jocko even though it was all of them well we have a Spotify playlist ready for y'all this week I do have to preface that a lot of Jocko's work isn't actually available on Spotify Mm. Uh, but we scrounge what we could. The good thing is there is a lot of content on YouTube and you can see him play with his ginormous hands. Big old fingers. Methaney. <laughs> oh, Jake, did you want to breathe right there? I see you got a little space highlighted. Oh, yeah, I've, I've been remembering to breathe. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Methaney had his own debut album, Right Size Life, that came out in 1976 that Jocko also performed on. And in this time, it's important to note that Pastorius saw jazz fusion band Weather Report in Miami. So he's working with Methany. Methany. <laughs> he's working and with Meth. <laughs> it is Florida. Um, he's working with Methany. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Oh, yeah, he's working I forgot with you this- live there. Yes. <laughs> I'm not just pulling shots. I fucking know. So he was with this one guy, and then he saw this band, Weather Report. After the concert, he introduced himself saying, I'm John Francis Pastorius III. I'm the greatest bass player in the world. Joe Zawinul of Weather Report first told him, get the fuck out of my sight. But then he actually asked Jocko for his demo tape. He was clearly impressed with the guy's, like, I don't know, balls. arrogance? Yeah. Ball, his big balls. <laughs> Just like his big hands. Ginormous hands and balls. balls. Gotta have something to carry him around with, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and unlike everybody else in the world who receives demo tapes on the reg, Joe was actually, like, blown away by this tape he's quoted as saying i heard him play only four bars and i knew that history was being made so this is a bit off topic but it has to do with demo tapes did you watch grind the skateboard movie from like the early 2000s um was it like a disney movie no you're thinking of brink i am thinking of brink so the whole plot of the movie is basically the skateboard kid who him and his friend are trying to go to this what's like warp tour for skateboarders and like they go to different states or places and skate and bam margera is there and they're just trying to get 
Bam Margera this demo tape. It's like obviously dated. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my but God. Yeah. yeah. It was a uh, simpler times back then. Pretty sure I wouldn't have been allowed to watch that. Yeah. Probably Sorry. not. Anybody would Add jackass it to the in list. it. Yeah. I have it on DVD if you want to watch it ever. It's hysterical. Okay. In that same year, Jocko recorded a self-titled debut solo album on Epic Records. Tracy actually snagged him the deal. A1, babe. Um, she had been working in a club and they needed a local act. So Bobby Columby of Blood, Sweat and Tears heard from Tracy. Jocko is the best bass player in the world. So he had... <laughs> Put it on a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. So he had Jocko audition and immediately signed him to Epic for his first album with some na- major names. Um, names like 15-time Grammy winning Michael Brecker, there was Randy Brecker, Herbie Hancock, Hubert Laws, Stan, Stan, what, Sam and Dave, and more big jazz and soul names appeared on it. Also, who was it recently that Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Who have we covered this season? What was the first one? I don't remember. What was the second one? I also don't remember. <laughs> Could you stop talking real quick? Let me Houston. pull it up. <laughs> that was recent. I don't remember hearing. All right. No, Let's... there was somebody else from Blood, Sweat, and Tears that discovered a band. Leonard like... Skinner. Yes, that was it. Yeah. Somebody else from Blood, Sweat, and Tears um, saw them play and actually signed them to their record label. We talked about this. It was, it was a country bumpkin oh. one. The album was sick. He won two Grammys in 1977 for the debut album, one for best jazz performance by a group and one for best jazz performance by a soloist. So just an opinion here. Typically, my go to music isn't jazzy bass as the forefront. So me describing this music might seem a bit harsh, but it's also it's like something you'd hear if you decided to put Weather Channel on to see today's forecast. And like this is the music that's playing in the background. But at the same time, you just can't put it on as background music because it is distracting. I was trying to listen to it while I was typing this, and I was like, Mm-mm, I cannot. What? Oh, my God. I listened to it the whole time I was no. typing, and I've I was like, I've been listening wow. to it all week. I, I thought it was awesome. It's it's going to go into my regular rotation with uh, Robert Johnson and Sun House now, both of those mm-hmm. guys. Uh, I had a job, a big job at work that I was, I was doing, and I was able to put my speaker there, so I didn't have to go anywhere for a while, and I just listened to a whole bunch of his stuff. Well, like you said, it sounds like shit that's on the Weather Channel. Yeah. He's about to join up with a group called Weather Report. So wow. maybe that was their goal. Maybe <laughs> that's why the Weather Channel sounds the way it does because of this band. They were like, you know what? We're There's a there's a hole that needs to be filled and it is, what the fuck do we listen to <laughs> while we're talking about the weather? One of my music professors in school had submitted like all these weird sounds and tracks that he was making on his in like his spare time yeah and was submitting them to the weather channel and he got like a check one day he brought it to work he brought it to the school because he was like got a royalty check in the mail it was like thirteen dollars he's trying to brag like he made it i mean hey thirteen dollars is thirteen dollars but i mean was, that's still pretty cool yeah it was cool but we yeah. were just like what you did what now? <laughs> so Jocko also sent Joe from Weather Report a rough mix of his debut solo album. And, you know, he was still not around booze or drugs at this point. But his relationship with Tracy was starting to mirror his parents' relationship. Um, he was he was gone. He was touring. She was getting frustrated, taking care of the kids. And he was always, like, out. Um, and it might not be able to withstand that sort of tension. So timing was just right for Jocko. Weather Report's bassist left. So they approached Pastorius about joining. And he made his debut on their album Black Market in 1976, the same year that his solo album was released. So he's, he's getting a lot of shit done. He's clearly not at home. Uh, jazz fusion bands typically have multiple members on the same instrument. But Jocko was the best bass player in the world. So he was their only bass player by 1977 on the album heavy weather this album had a song called birdland that was nominated for a grammy and apparently jocko helped weather report become the most famous jazz band on earth melding together elements of jazz r&b calypso and country some of the other things jocko had taken up on the side at this time included playing with ian hunter of motha hoople as well as working on four of Joni mitchell's albums by 1980 sorry y'all Joni's not going on our playlist that's okay <laughs> I, I don't know that i've ever heard her stuff before yeah, you have. but you for some reason probably there's a lot of things like that but the name sounds familiar for some reason i remember he, it, was it ben stiller that said something like Joni, <laughs> Joni loves, loves chachi, chachi in some movie and i can't remember what the hell it was um, um hang on you said that on an earlier episode That's, every time i every time i saw her name in here i was like it's Joni loves chachi. is that it's what it was yeah. okay oh Joni mitchell so you do know a Joni mitchell song 
I should. It's at Pave, pa- Pave Paradise, put up a parking lot, big yellow taxi. As we have learned on previous episodes, with the money and fame and touring, usually comes drugs and alcohol. Um, though he had been refusing it up to this point, Jocko and Joe had grown incredibly close. Um, Joe called Pastorius his twin brother. He was nearly twice Jocko's age and obviously had a huge impression on him. So before a show one night, he offered Jocko some vodka. Jocko turned him down and Joe said, you know what? Live a little. Joe said that Jocko got strange. After just two drinks, he began throwing things and becoming aggressive. He's living, man. Peer pressure is that's, fun, isn't it? That's instant. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Like two he didn't even fucking- roll into it. He just like... Oh, fuck off you know yeah i mean this is what they this is what they always tell you in dare we just talked about dare was it with whitney houston and um when they're like oh people will offer you drugs but what i found is usually if somebody says uh no no thanks man i'm good then everyone's like all right that's fine whatever you know they don't pressure you but he was pressuring him and then he was like all right fine and he did and he fucking went off the deep end immediately and there was that was the point of no return So it was good that he stayed sober up until that point. But after that, it was all fucked. Within two months, Jocko jumped right on board with everything. Uh, Drugs and booze caused him to start becoming quite erratic. He had always been an intense player, but now he had like an angry and a bitter edge. Instead of telling people he was the greatest because he was in awe of his talent, he would tell them he was the greatest just to be a dick. I mean, that sounds like a stereotypical musician. Yeah. (laughs) He actually became, like, really mean, and he was talking shit about his hometown and even his own friends. Um, One favorite quote of mine was about Bernson. Um, He said that watching him play guitar is like watching a guy jerk off without ever coming. Now take a second to imagine it. Go ahead. You know you want to. No. (laughs) That made me frustrated just listening to it. Okay. Uh, Things were rapidly (laughs) falling apart with Tracy, too. Jocko met a woman named Ingrid Mueller in a club, and he knew that he needed her. Um, They were the it couple of jazz clubs. They called themselves a two-person parade, if that gives you any insight into it. Jocko was obsessed with Ingrid, and he needed her by his side to help him with everything. So she soon realized that her presence was very much like a drug to him. Tracy and Jocko divorced in 1978, and Tracy was left to care for their two children. He married Ingrid within the year. Their relationship was not without its ups and downs. Ingrid followed Weather Report to Japan in 1980, and there, they got into a huge fight. Jocko got fucked up afterwards and almost got kicked out of the band. He apologized, which is nice, but he was drunk by 11 a.m., you know, a couple of days later, which is a little bit early to be fucked up. Um, Joe's response to the constant drinking was to try and keep Jocko busy all of the time. Some notable altercations of the time were Ingrid punching Jocko in the face at a restaurant. Was she drunk, too? I don't know. I think he probably was just being a jackass. Um, Another time... Uh, she poured out all of Jocko's vodka and Jocko was, he was also feeling guilty about leaving Tracy. He was kind of like putting that on her uh, and taking it out on Ingrid. Ew. That's pretty sad. He's really seemed to be such a good dad mm-hmm. and his kids have really good fond memories of him. And it's so, it's so sad to see him go down different so person. fast. Yeah. Different person. Some people can't handle it and he will learn was one of those people um joe said that by 1980 jocko was always angry and always drunk and as with everything in his life drinking became a competition too but you can't possibly keep your peak creativity when you're dulling your brain so his music was never fresh it was still on point he was still an excellent player but he wasn't he wasn't able to be as creative jocko started feeling it himself too and having doubts in his abilities for the first time ever so by 1982 he was out of the band not necessarily because of his behavior but he he had some disagreements with the band adding synth uh but he also had some other projects going on at the time one of which was word of mouth warner brothers had noticed jocko's skill and they signed him in the latter half of the 1970s the label set up word of mouth which was a big band and by big i mean it had 21 members 
they recorded Jocko's second solo album. If if you can call it that, it was called it was word of mouth. But it was solo, but like it was it had twenty fucking people on it. <laughs> um, but yes, it was called word of mouth, and that came out in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, the group went touring in nineteen eighty two, and at that time Ingrid was pregnant with twins, so she Ooh. didn't go on that tour. And here's where some more erratic behavior comes in. While on tour in Japan, Jocko walked out on a show. Like, they were on stage, they were playing, and he just left. And then he shaved his head, he threw his bass into Hiroshima Bay, and painted his face black. It wasn't the first time that he'd done weird shit, though. But his previous weird shit was just kind of brushed off as him being eccentric or freewheeling. People were just like, oh, that's how he is. After this stunt, though, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And after that, it said, like, nobody was ever truly close to him again. Um, So as some of you may know, there isn't an exact cause of bipolar disorder, but a combination of genetics, environment, and altered brain structures and chemistry can all play a role in the person that's mm. it's affecting. So manic episodes can be high energy, reduced need for sleep, loss of touch with reality, while depressive episodes can be low energy, lack of motivation, etc. So the episodes can last days, months, and can be associated with suicidal thoughts. And while there is no cure for the disorder, symptoms can be treated with medications and therapy. Word of mouth was praised by the press, but it ended up not really selling very well. In 1983, Jocko came out with Invitation, which was a live recording from the previous big band tour in Japan. But at this time, the drugs and alcohol were absolutely taking over his life. He started to get pretty manipulative. He was acting really shitty and then blaming his behavior on the people who cared about him. Ingrid was tired of it, so she broke up with him after an incident where he invited all of his friends over and then he fucking jumped off of the roof and she was like, you know what? We have kids inside. Like, you got to get the fuck out of here. Oh my gosh. Like, you're not doing this. His performances were pretty much at this point starting to become hit or miss. He was having dramatic mood swings, obviously, and his stage behavior was getting kind of out of hand, Mm -hmm. uh, which caused problems uh, before leaving Weather Report. He did manage to cause a riot at a concert in Italy. A jazz concert? Yeah. With all those nerds in there? He Damn. was He was fighting the crowd, and he kept leaving the stage and coming back and oh trying God. to save it and play stuff. Then he'd get angry, and he was like, fuck you. We're, we're the performers. You're the audience. You listen to us. And that, that show was a mess. Damn. <laughs> and he kept Gosh. fucking up like he was trying to start stuff to play. Just is, wasn't working. Is that in the documentary? No, that was in the the book that we listed in the sources at the very bottom. Okay. Um, Jocko wasn't making a lot of money. He couldn't find any work because, you know, he was being a piece of shit at the time. And eventually he found himself homeless. He was homeless, but he was still doing bass instructionals. He was giving highly praised concerts overseas. Um, This is probably the time that you're talking about. In Italy, he was on a tour. He fell off of a fucking balcony. He was drunk of his ass. He ended up breaking his arm. Everyone assumed that he had just gotten into a fight since that was like normal for him at the time to drink and then provoke people. He also had to be pulled off stage at the Playboy Jazz Festival. Bill Cosby, who was the host at the time, he he actually (laughs) came on stage and had to apologize for his behavior. Jocko moved to New York City, if you can call it moving, because he still didn't have a home. Um, He'd just kind of wander around, drugged up with his guitar and a basketball. His mental health, paired with the drugs he was taking, um, it had taken him on an absolute nosedive. So he was harassing strangers on the sidewalk. He was exposing himself in in parks. I mean, he looked like a madman. He was hijacking kids' basketball games. Like He would just (laughs) fucking run in, steal the ball, and like shoot some hoops and be like, what's up, bitch? Um, yeah, and then he would start trying to call Ingrid and convince her how he was the best basketball player out there. He just whooped some 12-year-old's asses, so she should obviously take him back. Oh, yeah, um, sure. And Jocko told an interviewer in 1985 that he just wished someone would give him a job. Everyone's always telling him how great he is, like, what's up? Yeah, you can see that. That was the very beginning of an instructional video they were recording called uh, Jocko Pastorius Modern Electric Bass. Uh, during his time in New York City, Jocko met a woman named Terry. And this was probably the worst couple combo that you could imagine. They would take themselves right up to the edge before falling off. Um, they were both drinking and, and doing drugs. I believe that they were both homeless while they were in New York City. Mm-hmm. They would abuse each other 
for several years, physical abuse on both ends. He and Ingrid were divorced in 1985. So later on in 1985, Jocko played at the Lone Star Cafe in New York, accompanied by by a drummer he found in the Village Voice Musicians column, which is like a small ad. And the drummer had a hard time keeping up with Jocko Jocko, Jocko (laughs) on the electric bass. Jimmy Page was there, and Jocko invited him up to jam. And so according to Page, Jocko's energy while playing was just an experience all around. And Page described Jocko as a monster of a player. That was high praise coming from Jimmy Page. Yeah. That'd be a pretty awesome experience, too. Yeah. For anybody who <laughs> might not know, Jimmy Page is the guitarist from Led Zeppelin, and he's he's yeah. a fucking monster. Yeah. So Ingrid finally came back and had Jocko committed to Bellevue Hospital. Mm. So Because he, he'd been calling her nonstop. She did come back, brought him to the hospital. He was diagnosed as manic depressive, likely the result of a genetic illness, In men, manic depression usually surfaces in the 20s and 30s when your life is the most stressful. It involves delusions of grandeur, alternating between, uh, alternating with like week-long depressive stints. So Mm. Jocko had all seven symptoms of manic depression and it was only exacerbated by his alcohol and drug usage. Like it's not going to help. It makes it 10 times worse. Jocko had lost touch with reality and it caused his creativity and his art to suffer. Had he not turned to drugs and drinking and and just stuck with the routine and the outlets that he had in his early life, his creativity and his energy would have been focused on productive activities. It was all downhill after that first drink. Mm. Um, And we we don't want to blame Joe here from Weather Report for offering Jocko the drink. Like He shouldn't have pressured him. But the offer alone is not the reason for Jocko's downfall. There's no way that Joe could have known about his deep mental illness. He didn't know his family history with this shit. I mean, if it were almost anybody else, one drink could not have possibly been such a huge issue. But manic depressives generally do resort, they end up resorting to self-medicating, um, Jocko ended up being prescribed lithium to calm him down. So lithium is a mood stabilizer medication that works in the brain. It's approved for the treatment of bipolar disorder, also known as manic depression, and it involves episodes of depression and or mania, like we talked about. It's also an evanescent song. That's actually one of my favorite songs by her. There's another song. It's Nirvana. 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 I had to think about it. I, like, <laughs> I thought Nirvana. you meant another Evanescent song. I was like, no, it's no, wake no, up. no. <laughs> can't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Please continue. <laughs> Lithium can really be a toss-up. It will chill you out, sure, but often it makes the user feel kind of like a shell of a human being. You can't be joyful. You can't be creative. I mean, when you're trying to dull these feelings of depression and dull these feelings of mania, then you're also dulling happiness and joyfulness and everything. I mean, Jocko is used to being a star, so this was not going to work with him and what he's used to. The other drug that he was prescribed was Tegretol, um, which made his hands numb, so he wasn't able to play. So I read that Tegretol is an anticonvulsant, which I'm assuming he started taking because the lithium can cause multiple side effects, including like hand tremors. So the lithium was fucking him up, making him shake, and then the other stuff just made him not even be able to feel. Right. Fuck. Eventually, he left Bellevue in 1986. He went back to Florida to live with his mother, and he took his girlfriend, Terry, with him. Randy Burnson says at this point that Jocko cleaned up. Terry was working as a waitress. She was kind of supporting them. Jocko was back to playing basketball and bass. Everyone thought that he was getting better. Um, That is until a huge, violent fight with Terry at his mom's birthday in February of 1987. Jocko left the party and was, he was on a bender from that point pretty much until he died. Mm. In those days, he was wandering Fort Lauderdale, stopping into bars. He he would bring his albums with him and try to get free drinks. (laughs) He'd just be like, hey, I'm the greatest bass player in the world. Like, here's my album. See? Um, But where did he get the albums? Because he was kind of like a bum at that point. He stole them from a friend's house. 
Ugh. Jocko had been breaking into everyone's houses that he knew. In addition to picking fights with strangers on the street and trying to win back Ingrid again, he'd find himself in jail constantly, but he was also spending some time at jazz clubs. I mean, the, what a range of places. You're either in jail or you're in the jazz club. There's no in between. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he was, though he was smelly, ragged, bloodied from the fights, the jazz clubs would occasionally let him play. And he'd whip out these amazing pieces before just like wandering back off into the darkness. Imagine just some guy coming in from the streets and he's like, I'm the best player in the world. And you're like, uh, okay, sure. And then he <laughs> actually is. And then he's like, later nerds. And he fucking dips out. <laughs> so when he was manic, he was still able to, to carry on. People still believed in his talent and believed that he was, um, he was just like a, in a stage of his life. And that he would sober up. Ingrid begged his mother to um, let her take Jocko to another facility, but his mother just wouldn't even talk about it. So coming from someone who isn't a parent, but like I have, you know, the motherly instinct for my friends and everyone I care about. Wouldn't you think that at this point for Jocko's best interest to like get him the help he needs? Like why carry on like he's fine and you're not going to discuss it? I mean, I understand there's a, you know, a mental health stigma, which is, you know, there shouldn't be, but talking about these things doesn't mean that you as a mother or a friend had done anything wrong in this person's life. It's just a matter of like helping the person who's affected. Like why not try doing the right thing to help? I think, um, it being the late eighties and her being from the era that she's from and being from a big family that is fucked up, that probably all plays a role in it. So reaching out and asking for help like now obviously pretty much anybody would be like yeah get him some help get him in therapy get him this that and the other like that was not right that was not an acceptable answer back then it wasn't very a go-to taboo. yeah very taboo yeah and you don't want to be seen as crazy mm-hmm. and i think she also always resented him for taking after his father Ooh, i and didn't think she, of that she did she had a big fucking problem with his dad for being a touring musician for being a drunk and like whatever she bought greg the guitar to say no you're not gonna play drums because your fucking dad plays drums and you remind me of your dad so i think she resented him and when he was going through all of this i think she wasn't seeing him as her son and her her child i think she was looking at him as you're just like your fucking dad you're a piece of shit oh sure and she's like nope He's on his own. We're not doing it. So nearing the last days of his life, Jocko was in another really bad fight. Uh, He was actually daring the cops to kill him because he couldn't do it himself being Catholic and all. Yeah. And for those of you that don't follow religion, the reason it's viewed for you reviewed by the Catholic church as a grave sin is because you're taking away the control from the higher being and our lives are not ours to dispose of essentially. Right. You have to Mm -hmm. wait until Jesus gives you AIDS. Um, oh God! But you okay. can't. You can't just like you. You can't kill yourself. Jesus. I mean, will you get do a it. point. But. Yeah. Um, on September 11th, 1987, Jocko actually woke up sober for a change, and he tried to to ring up Terry, his girlfriend, for lunch. However, she had a new boyfriend, oh, shit. and. this bitch she was like hey actually now that we're on the phone together like could you get us some tickets for santana like knowing that this guy is is a little bit unstable yeah asked him for some fucking concert tickets to see santana in sunrise florida for that night she's like oh yeah sorry jocko i have a boyfriend but like maybe you could hook us up and he was like oh sure um so jocko said that he would try and get them tickets but by the time the show actually rolled around terry and her boyfriend already found great seats on their own wow. jocko was at the show however um the most drunk that terry had ever known him to be jocko snuck up onto stage at the santana show he stood behind their bass player alfonso johnson who it's funny he previously replaced alfonso johnson in weather report that was the guy that like, uh. left and whatever so he went up and he stood behind their bass player And then he was kicked out promptly, of course, before anybody in the crowd could really notice what was going on. And he made a comment to Terry on his way out about her boyfriend and, you know, just basically talking shit. And he ended that whole interaction with, you know what, I'm dead. Then he wandered over to the Midnight Bottle Club, 
which I'm guessing was like some sort of nightclub or a strip club or something. He tried to kick in a glass door after being refused entry. And their bouncer, Luke Haven, was an expert in martial arts. Jocko had picked the wrong dude to mess with. So they got into a brawl. And after he tried to kick in the door, um, Luke chased him down an alley. Jocko turned around. He tried to swing on Luke. And then uh, Luke kind of shoved Jocko back. Jocko is, you know, he's he's a skinny little dude. He's fucked up. So when Luke, a bouncer, shoved him, he fell backwards and he ended up slamming his head on the concrete. Um, and that was it. Jocko was hospitalized. He had some facial fractures and injuries to his right eye and his left arm. His skull was fractured. Both of his eyes were swollen shut. Possibly also some of these were injuries from his fight that happened a couple nights before. Mm-hmm. He'd been known for provoking bar fights and just letting people kick the shit out of him. Yeah. For, I'm assuming because he felt bad for everything that had happened. And maybe he was like trying to I can see put it. it on himself somehow and just let people beat him up. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly possible that he had already sustained other injuries. I would assume just because of this before this whole thing went down with uh, the bouncer. So he. Yeah. You know, who knows what kind of shape he was actually in when he got knocked down. I think that that's a a large reason why Luke got a lot of shit, because obviously Jocko was in very poor physical condition, Mm -hmm. but there's no telling where all of his injuries came from. Mm -hmm. And I think that they saw the state of him and immediately everybody thought Luke did all of this to him, but it is very, he had been in a fight a couple nights before and it's very possible that not all of these injuries came from Luke. And if he, I I believe, you know, hearing his story and the way that he reacted later on, I believe that he did just push him back and he, you know, for him to have the back of his skull fractured, but also have injuries to his face. I think the injuries to his face and, whatever was on his arm were from previous fights, but he would get into these huge bar fights. And I think he want, I think he had a death wish and he wanted someone to, to do it. I mean, and he did feel, and this is interesting because this is how he felt in his relationships too. And why he was such a piece of shit to Ingrid is because he felt guilty about mm-hmm. abandoning yeah. his first wife. And so he had this huge amount of guilt that he was carrying around and he wanted other people to make him pay for it because he couldn't do it himself. His injuries were serious enough that he fell into a coma. Um, he was bleeding internally from the, the blunt trauma to his head. Uh, the doctor who delivered Jocko's kids recognized him in the hospital because until then he had just been some random guy who was there like nobody could identify him but the doctor recognized him they notified his family and doctors were hopeful at first but a few days later Jocko suffered a brain hemorrhage and this led to brain death which I didn't know the specifics of like being brain dead honestly yeah um it means not only the loss of brain function but loss of the ability to do involuntary things like breathing and shit like that Mm -hmm. um and i guess that's the obvious difference between a coma and being brain dead is whether or not you have to live on machines yes someone who is brain dead can legally be confirmed as dead at that moment too so whereas typically i mean i guess i don't know if i didn't go into like reading whether or not people come back from that being brain dead i don't think i don't you, think you can you can because i've just never really thought about it before. right yeah so it was like they're legally dead so they have this very short window of like telling the family and getting them to like if the person's an organ donor like they need to get oh, those functions okay. out so that they can still work for other people that are in need yeah because so. i was wondering like if being brain dead is being legally dead or, or whatever then like what's the fucking point why do people live on machines why do they live in a vegetative state for so long like yeah what is the point so it was saying that um, intensive care units, when they're in those processes of trying to declare whether or not somebody is brain dead, is like they have tests they run and do mm-hmm. certain things, but they can keep a person with severe brain injuries alive, but it also can mask evidence that the person has already died. So the shift from like a deep coma to brain death is like a permanent cessation, or cessation of all brain function, and it might not be immediately obvious to mm-hmm. somebody who hasn't been practicing medicine for a really long time. Right. So. Okay, so he he ended up going brain dead, and he survived for nine days in the hospital. Jocko died at age 35 on September 21st, 1987, at the Broward General Medical Center in Fort Lauderdale. He was buried at Our Lady Queen of Heaven Cemetery. 
His family, kids, friends, and ex-wives attended the funeral services. His girlfriend, Terry, was not allowed to be there. She actually went to the club after finding out about the fight. She wanted to confront the bodyguard or the, the bouncer, Luke Havan. Um, all he could say was that he was he was really sorry. Like he couldn't even make eye contact with her. The dude was only 25 years old at the time. Mm. I mean, he he probably shouldn't have chased after Jocko. Yeah. But Jocko was looking for a fight and Luke pushed him down. I, I ser- sincerely don't believe that he meant for this to happen. Yeah, and judging by what you mentioned in the confrontation of Jocko with like cops, and as morbid as, morbid as it sounds, this could have been another instance where he did want someone else to end his life. But yeah. from a legal standpoint, like once the bouncer had him off the property, like he did his job, he, he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. Him. Yeah, exactly. So he was off club property, so he had no real right to go after him. After but at that. the same time, he probably wasn't expecting him to just fall down and slam his head. I mean, he he didn't intend for that to happen, no. right? He yeah, he's probably just chasing after him because he tried to kick the door. And so I'm I'm thinking maybe he was like okay, now we're calling the cops. Like, you're not running away. You just tried to break our fucking door. Yes, but from, like, that legality, like, the, again, someone's running away. You have no right to pursue after that. Yeah. He he might have been trying to, like, detain him, kind of, so that they could press charges or something. But also, uh, I don't know. It's a, it. it's a toss-up. Yeah. I, but I don't I, think he meant to kill him. Like, right. That's fucked. Right. I, yeah, I don't think he meant to kill him either. But I think back in the 80s, it, uh, it, it was probably more common for... If you're starting shit, you're gonna get Start beat shit, up. Get you're gonna get beat up, and you know the bouncer's like trying to handle this drunk ass guy outside, and he's like, yeah, trying to get him out of there and stuff. The fact that he was refused entry, so they already told him no, and that motherfucker came back and tried to kick in the door. He was like, okay, mm-hmm. we're not gonna do this all night. Like I'm going after you, and maybe they're gonna like punch you or whatever, or you know what ended up. Yeah, happening. he's gonna Obviously, do what he has to do to get Jocko to go away. Yeah. Well, so the bouncer, Luke Havan, was he was looking at a charge for second degree murder, which is murder in the heat of the moment or not premeditated. He pled guilty to a lesser charge of manslaughter, which is still technically murder, but it carries less weight of fault. And that's probably because he was on the job and he was trying to defend this property, whatever. But he ended up serving four months of a 22 month prison sentence and he was paroled for good behavior. Fender cemented Jocko's legacy by releasing a fretless jazz bass in the 1980s and later in 1999 released the Fender Jocko Pastorius jazz bass as a part of a celebrity custom series. They quite literally pried the frets out and sealed them with epoxy, like Jake mentioned earlier in the episode, um, as Jocko allegedly did in his early years. Joe Zawinul of Weather Report said before Jocko, Weather Report was just a cult band, mostly appreciated by blacks. Jocko was this nice white boy. He brought us to a new white audience that made us much more commercially successful. Jocko was the greatest thing to happen to the band and to me. He was my best friend. In the 30 plus years since his passing, Jocko changed the world of bass players and his enormous influence on them. You can hear this influence in new music as well as tributes from other artists playing his songs. So we talked a bit earlier about how a lot of his work isn't streaming on different services, but there are so many YouTube videos. There's roughly about 14,000, which is crazy to think because even in a time period where like cell phones or any type of like cheap video cameras existed, that they're like he was performing on numerous stages and there were people there recording what he was doing. Yeah, because it was incredible. Right. So now because of these performances existing on YouTube, the up and coming artists can experience his unique playing style and utilize those skills in their own musicianship. It so. was interesting to learn that Rob Trulio. Trujillo. Trujillo. <laughs> that's how I always it's say it. I'll say Trulio. You're drinking it truly. Is that it? So you're now you're. But I say that I say it that way even when I'm not drinking it. It was interesting to learn that Rob. From Metallica. <laughs> no. <laughs> he was a huge Jocko fan, obviously. He created, well, yeah, he made the, he was a producer of the Jocko, not the 2014 documentary. Yeah. Um, he also helped the family out with the guitar, but also learning that Flea from Chili Peppers was a big fan. That was uh, interesting to me. I thought Les Claypool might have been influenced by him, but not according to his Wikipedia page, because Les Claypool, he's a monster bass player too. Yeah. So he, he's one of the other bass players that I thought of who's not a, he's not a conventional bass player. Yeah, he, he's, he's one very of those much, like superstar bass players. Yeah, he's very much, a, a, he plays it like a, a guitar, mm-hmm. like a regular guitar. Um, I also thought of Lemmy, 
but I don't think Lemmy would have been influenced by him because, mm. because they were coming up at the exact same time in completely yeah. different worlds. They probably didn't even know about each other, but I also oh, thought I'm, of Lemmy because he's another monster bass player, plays it as the main instrument in the band. Definitely go check out the playlist. It is on Spotify. Uh, we we link all of the playlists in each episode, so you can click on, on the description and it will take you to the specific playlist for that episode because we've had people ask us, like, how do I find the profile? Don't even worry about that. Just click on the link. It's in the description and you can find it. Um, Also, make sure that you guys are subscribed to us on Patreon. We appreciate everybody for looking into that. It's only $5 a month. We just want to say, give you fair warning that we are going to be taking a little mid-season break for season three. As you guys know, we're doing mini episodes every week. We're doing the uh, Patreon season. We are doing these episodes and it's it's a lot and we're 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 busy you know we got shit going on too so we're gonna take a tiny little break it's only gonna be two weeks basically we are coming out with episode five of season three next week that's going to be Aaliyah and um the plane crash that happened for her so we're going to do that and then we're going to take a two-week break we will be back with new episodes starting with Jerry Garcia on August 18th that Wednesday is is when we're going to come back. So if you are completely like fucked and deprived and you can't handle not having those two episodes, subscribe to our Patreon because we have two episodes up there. We're going to have um, Kurt Cobain part one coming out very soon in, in just a couple of days. And we've already got Robert Johnson up there. Patreon's only five bucks a month. So you can still get your content while we take our short little break and you don't have to like, I don't know, lose your shit or whatever you were going to do. And then make sure that you're following us on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, search for death by podcast team. You can send us an email. Oh yeah. 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 That was one other thing. Just send us an email. We, we like to talk about nice things. I think that we're going to start reading your emails. Did you get another the, one? E, well, no, cause oh. nobody's listening. Nobody sent us an email. But we, we love to hear from you guys and we want to start ending the episodes with stuff from you so that we're not dwelling on this like negative shit. Oh, you could also review us on iTunes. Well, actually, somebody did review us because now we have an additional five-star review on iTunes, but they didn't leave, like, a note. Oh, that's okay. But, but we still appreciate that yeah, shit. That was, like that, that was real cool of you, whoever you are. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so thank you for the five-star reviews. And as I said last week, if nobody sent us any kind words, then I would just read what Sam wrote about we did the Wendy O. Williams episode and he, he shared like a brief little thing about that because he was the one who suggested we do Wendy O. Williams. You did. You read that last time. No, I read the email from the girl who liked classical shit. And I oh. said, if nobody sends us anything nice, I'm just going to read what Sam wrote. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he said, my friend Alex, an FM radio DJ, <laughs> has a podcast and uh, they recently featured an episode about the priestess of metal, Wendy O. Williams, I loved it. It brought me to tears at the end. Thanks for the mentions, but most importantly, thank you for keeping Wendy's memory alive. That's really nice. It was really sweet. So, um, yeah, if you guys want to send us things that don't suck, I don't care what it is. It could be a joke. It could be about our podcast. It could be about some other shit. I really don't care. As long as it's not depressing, and then we'll read it at the end of the episode. But, yeah, make sure you tune in next week for Aaliyah. And thank you for listening. Rest in peace. Bye. Later. (laughs) Want to try that again? Yeah. Later. (laughs) Later. (laughs) I don't know if that was better. (laughs) They sounded the exact same. (laughs) Do it again. Later. There we go. Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.